The norm that creates conflicts is a perversion instead of is what the rule is supposed to do, namely to help us avoid conflicts. Only private or exclusive property makes it possible that all otherwise unavoidable conflicts can be avoided. A norm that would generate conflict, that creates conflicts, is contrary to the very purpose of a norm or a rule. The state is not only an institution that produces inferior goods, bad goods, low quality goods, uh, but it actually produces bads, that is to say, goods that are not really goods at all would be called bads. The state is an agency that exercises a territorial monopoly of ultimate decision making. If you can decide who is right and wrong in every case, even in cases involving yourself, then you will provoke and cause conflicts and then, of course, decide these conflicts in your own favor. States will substitute legislation for law. They make the law. They make laws and say, it's all right if I hit you on the head sometimes. The norm that creates conflicts is a perversion. If you can decide who is right and wrong in every case, even in cases involving yourself, then you will provoke and cause conflicts. institution of private property is definitely not just a convention uh, because no alternative to it exists. Uh, only private or exclusive property makes it possible that all otherwise unavoidable conflicts can be avoided. And only the principle of property acquisition by acts of original appropriation, that is, of appropriating something that was previously unowned, makes it possible that conflicts can be avoided from the beginning of mankind on, so to speak, until its very, uh, very end. Because the first appropriator of something did not involve anyone in any conflict. He was the first one. Nobody else was there. So the first appropriation of something as private property is a conflict-free way of transferring something that was previously some external thing into something that is private property. Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on No Way Jose YouTube channel, all major auto podcatchers, and Odyssey as well. 
Today, my guest is Toad. We're continuing our live reading series of Democracy of the God That Failed by Hans Hermann Hoppe. Do want to remind you guys, those intros, those are from Romero Synth. Go check him out. He's got a lot of other synth stuff. Um, got a lot, of, a lot of other Hoppe stuff. Uh, he's got a couple other little things you guys might like. So go check out his stuff for sure. Uh, yeah, I know there's a little long, but, you know, keep in mind you have a fast forward button, so I don't want to hear you complaining. Uh, but, uh, yes, uh, like I said, we're doing the live reading today. Do remind you all how this works. Uh, these, uh, you know, like this is one of the ones we will be paying well in, but the, the, how this works is I will, we record them and we put out a live stream for our, uh, for my patrons and, uh, you know, and roughly about a week or so later, we put it up public for everybody. Uh, so if you want to be able to, you know, get the episodes early or be able to catch those live streams, either or, uh, you got to go to patreon.com. Just know where the 2020 lowest levels, two bucks, highest levels, 20, 20 are my sponsors. And my sponsors are Mikel Thorpe of the Expat Money Show. I also have Jeremy, who is a Etsy store, etsy.com slash shop slash Raising Liberty. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Rhymes. Then my co-host Toad, he'll give his plugs here in a little bit because uh, he is joining me today for the live reading. Uh, I also have Zach Overacker at Z-O-V-E-R-A-C-K. Then Mike Daglesh, and then uh, then Lindsay, uh, who is a newer uh, patron. She what did she recently lost her TikTok, but got a new one, or, or or maybe it was an old one. I don't know. She had a backup. She got her TikTok got nuked. I don't know what for. She's trying to get back, but it's Lindsay OKC. She covers a lot of the OKC bombing type stuff, but on uh, on TikTok. So it's so if you want to support, you know, OKC on TikTok. If you're a TikTok type person, go go check her out. Uh, yeah, make sure you go to toplops.com. You associate at checkout, uh, get 10% off. Uh, that's where you can get the Yiki shirt. You can get a bunch of other stuff. You can get Tower Gang stuff. Um, I do also want to remind you guys, I just, uh, had my, uh, one of my, I guess kind of my first sort of essay I really wrote that got published in a magazine recently in Garrison. Uh, my Kenneth trying to do piece, Kenneth trying to do didn't kill himself is the name of that article. Uh, that is in Garrison, uh, the journal of, history and politics or deep history and politics or history and deep politics i forget the specific but uh yeah it's a that's what it is definitely go check it out that will be in the i'll, I'll probably put that in the video description so if you want to buy that magazine uh you know get a bunch of other stuff richard booth has a piece in that one too uh yeah a lot of, a lot of good stuff in that I highly recommend it uh and with that let's go ahead and get toad near and get into it hey what's oh, up yeah. bud how you doing what's up i feel like i just saw you yeah, right. It's uh, it's almost like we do this thing every Wednesday or something. Yeah. Uh, you, <laughs> I guess uh, I, I didn't do your little plug because you are a sponsor. Uh, I guess you want to give them your plugs real quick, and then uh, since we did just kind of allude to that other show we do. Oh yeah, never heard of it. Uh, Tower Gang Toad on Twitter, and Jose and I do the Tower Gang podcast, which is the most offensive comedy podcast, the most offensive podcast in general on the planet. Every Wednesday night, nine eleven p.m. Tower Gang Pod everywhere. That's me, Jose, Cole, aka formerly Fat Dave, Clint from Liberty Lockdown, Top Lobster, and probably never read Coverdale again. Did he quit? I don't know. <laughs> nah, he'll show up eventually uh, every once in a great while. Read Coverdale uh, very infrequently. Yeah. But uh, uh, okay. yeah, it's a fun show, hilarious show. And we're on locals now because our Patreon got nuked. So it's towergang.com locals.com and towergangpod.com is the link tree so all the links are there it's yeah. mostly towering pod everywhere and we got instaband when we tried to make an instagram account for it didn't we yeah which Insta still blows my mind on instagram yeah the only thing i think of is like was it you that made it yeah did, was it did you already have an instagram account 
I like, I technically have one through Facebook. Yeah. But that's my personal, mm -hmm. I use my personal email for that, for the tower gang. When I use the tower gang email, I did not really? use a phone number at all. So there was no, yeah. no link huh. to me. And I, and I was doing it on a 5g connection. So they couldn't, uh, I mean, I guess they could do it through my device, but um, device, uh, recognition. But other than that, I, like I, it was either the tower gang name or the tower gang email, I think, because the email is associated. But even with then, even with then, I, I don't, YouTube. I don't think there's anything on Instagram that says you can't have more than one account. So unless you're like banavating maybe or something like that, I don't, I'm not so familiar with Instagram, but it's weird. Maybe they use like an AI or something. That was the first thing that came to my mind that they have some sort of AI and they recognize it's an offensive show and they're like, nope. That's that's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. But all right. Anyways, enough of that. Let's go ahead and uh, let's start getting this live reading. I want you to. We are in the middle of a chapter right now, and uh, I think it would behoove our audience. Uh, if you gave us a little recap, kind of what we covered last episode, and we're going to cover the second half of this mm -hmm. uh, this chapter here. This one's a little bit shorter. Uh, so just yeah. get a quick recap, and then we'll go ahead and just get right into the live reading. Uh, if you yeah. if you're if you're literally if you're someone who's like knocking these all out at once, here's your opportunity to fast forward like thirty seconds to a minute. So there you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, unless unless you want the recap, but yeah. Although, yeah, we only did ours like what, like a week ago, and I still was yeah. like, wait a minute, I need to refresh my memory on Just what we were talking about last yeah. time. Uh, so I think that uh, this is the second of two immigration chapters in a row in general, and I it was such a long time uh, ago yeah. that we did the previous one. I don't even remember oh, exactly. I'm still fucking over yeah, yeah, immigration. Exactly what we talking about in that one, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, apparently Liberty Twitter is not, and I still, yeah. uh, fight that fight just because I think the, the people that are on the open border side are just losers. So I, I try to bully them and kind of fail, I guess. But the, yeah. um, last, uh, episode, uh, when we did the first half of this chapter, this chapter is on free trade and restricted, uh, immigration, I believe is the name of the chapter. So the first part of the chapter, which we did last week, he opened it by talking about how people conflate free trade with open immigration and think that those two things uh, are kind of necessary together and they're consistent together. He explained why that is not the case. Like one is not required to have the other. And in fact, they kind of have nothing to do with each other and immigration is completely different from trade. So he explained that, uh, which I don't think we need to go into the details on that. You can go watch that uh, last episode. He explained that from a property rights perspective. And then um, he started getting into his, uh, he was going to be laying out three different arguments against uh, open immigration where uh, the first uh, argument uh, was against open immigration, which he, uh, that was the first uh, part of uh, sort of the end of the section that we did last time. Then he went into uh, arguing against open immigration with conditions even added to it, such as removing the welfare state. He was still arguing against open immigration, even with no welfare state anymore. So we did those last week. And then the third one, which is going to be what we talk about tonight, is he's arguing for some sort of immigration restrictions. All right. All right. You ready to do this, bud? Let's do it. All right. We, so we're on part five of uh, chapter – what even chapter is this? Uh, eight. I think it's eight. eight on free trade and restricted immigration. Yeah, it's page 162 in my book. Yes, same here. Uh, from the recognition that proponents of free trade and markets cannot advocate free immigration without being inconsistent and contradicting themselves, and that therefore immigration must logically be restricted, it is but a small step to the further recognition of how it must be restricted. In fact, all high-wage area governments presently restrict immigration in one way or another. 
Nowhere is immigration free, unconditionally or conditionally. And for context, you put free in quotations. So it means, you know, it depends on how you... Anyways. However, the restriction imposed on immigration by the United States and by Switzerland, for instance, are quite different. Which restrictions should exist? More precisely, which immigration restrictions is a free trader and free marketeer logically compelled to uphold and promote? I'll just keep going. Not really much to, to, to comment on that one. He's just kind of laying out the, yeah. the, the points. Um, not the points, but kind of what the question is. Uh, the guiding principle of a high-wage area's country's uh, uh, immigration policy falls from the insight that to be free in the same sense as trade is free, immigration must be invited. The details follow from the further elucidation and exemplification of the concepts of invitation versus invasion and force integration all right we're nice. getting to the invitation stuff anyone who if you're a baby libertarian this may be new to you but if you've been around the block for a minute you, you understand where we're going this this is like i think a walter yeah. block thing as well there's a few libertarians that promote like a invitation type style immigration system uh, would be the best way to go about it kind of like right a, yes yeah, uh, Hopper kind of uh, promotes like a sponsorship type of thing where uh, he would recommend that somebody who already is a citizen of that country be uh, like assume responsibility for uh, that person who is coming in is sort of the idea. Um, and he is kind of getting at um, what I sort of just alluded to uh, talking about what we were talking about last week uh, where he kind of made that property rights argument where he's saying that uh, in the case of free trade, it's like always uh, invited in a way because you have both parties agreeing to make that trade. You know, one person is yeah. agreeing to sell that thing to the other person. They're agreeing to exchange that good. Uh, whereas in the case of immigration, it is quite possible that nobody is agreeing to uh, have that person come in. Yes. <sighs> to this end, it is necessary to presuppose as a conceptual benchmark, the existence of what political philosophers have described as a private property anarchy, anarcho-capitalism or ordered anarchy. All land is privately owned, including all streets, rivers, airports, and harbors. With respect to some pieces of land, the property title may be unrestricted. That is, the owner is permitted to do whatever he pleases with his property as long as he does not physically damage the property of others. With respect to other territories, the property title may be more or less restricted. As is currently the case in some housing developments, the owner may be bound by contractual limitations on what he can do with his property. Restrictive covenants, voluntary zoning, uh, for example, which, may, which might include residential rather than commercial use. No buildings more than four stories high, no sale or rent to unmarried couples, smokers or Germans, for instance. Uh, I think he threw in that last one to kind of illustrate that like, hey, it can be as arbitrary as you want. It just may not be the greatest idea right. depending on where you're at, you know? Right. They might not allow me in. Yes. Yep. 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 Is he German? There. No, um, Hoppe. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not a big Austrian fan of the or German. I forget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he's trying to balance it out. Like I say homosexuals sometimes, but I say the Germans in other cases. Oh, no. I was joking. I was just teasing oh. you. Oh. oh, okay. Oh, all right. Well, that's obvious. Yeah. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with being gay. Uh, yeah. But, anyways, um, yeah, no, uh, um, this is, uh, he's just kind of laying it out right here. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just saying, uh, you know, that he is an ANCAP and he is saying the ideal is still 
privatization of everything. And I'm assuming that like he does throughout this book, what he's going to uh, argue for is some sort of uh, like within the paradigm of we do have a state controlling the borders here. Like what is going to uh, sort of approach uh, what that private uh, closest approximation. Yeah. yeah. What is going to yeah closely approximate uh, what the private society would. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, obviously this is something that uh, I mean, I think I read like half of like human action forever ago. Uh, wait, is human action Mises or is that, yeah, uh, it is the other one. What, didn't Rothbard do his own version of it? I forget. Rothbard did man economy and state. Actually, I think I didn't do human action and I did like half of yeah, man economy and state. I just never finished it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was a common thing he would do to compare, like say, economically speaking, he would compare, like he would have this, like, I forget what he called it, but he would be like all things constant, like this economic system. And he would like use that to compare to, cause the problem is whenever you're dealing with like yeah. economics, same thing, uh, it, I guess when you're talking about these political philosophies, idea, the ideas here, uh, to, there's so many different factors. So he would, he would have had this like constant that was kind of like, you know, the free, like what would be in a true free market and then use that to compare against. And yeah, that's yeah. kind of what Hoppe is doing here uh, right. with the the whole immigration thing. It's the idea is like, OK, well, let's first establish what likely would be the case in a private property uh, type anarchy. Uh, and then obviously yeah. we're not in, in private property anarchy. So like and there is no right answer. So what is the closest thing? Like That's kind of what we're doing here. Um, all right. Anyways. Clearly, in this kind of society, there is no such thing as freedom of immigration or an immigrant's right of way. Rather, there exists the freedom of many independent private property owners to admit or exclude others from their own property in accordance with their own restricted or unrestricted property titles. Admission to some territories might be easy, while to others it might be nearly impossible. Moreover, admission to the property or of one party does not imply the freedom to move around. Unless other property owners have agreed to such movements, there will be as much immigration or non-immigration, inclusivity or exclusivity, desegregation or segregation, non-discrimination or discrimination as individual owners or associations of individual owners desire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, in the first paragraph that you uh, read tonight, he was uh, talking about how in the current uh, situation, the current state of affairs, uh, no country actually has completely open immigration. Uh, and he wasn't really commenting on whether or not, I mean, he, I'm assuming he would not say that that's actually a good thing. Uh, but he's, you know, he was just saying that that is the case, that there are restrictions everywhere, but then you can question like, well, what type of restrictions are they? And they're, they can be completely different in each country, whatever. Some of them are going to be much uh better than others in his view and then what he's talking about here uh yeah he's saying that in a completely privatized society uh, there would be really no such thing as freedom of movement because all of the uh land you know who the owner is in some way and it's not like a disputed uh it's not disputed land or disputed claim over that land like you might say would be the case with uh the government controlled land the yeah. public I mean, land yeah. and uh, i do so, want to clarify i do think that yeah in this situation he's laying out like a lot of people that breaks their mind like how would you even move around in this world it's like okay there still would be something that is a close approximation to public roads or public land or whatever that we have now because like let's yeah. first say for example you're a walmart and obviously you want to do business so yeah. you're likely to probably uh, either make the roads yourself or to contract them out or to work with other businesses to 
make the funds for roads or whatever. And like, even then they might still have their own rules for said roads or whatever, or, or different things. Uh, but it, it, it would probably be something close to a, basically a free movement because they want people that they might have some loose rules here and there that, you know, that may be loosely enforced or whatever. But the idea yeah. that, you know, cause I think it just breaks people's mind trying to understand this concept. Like how are we supposed to exist if everything's owned? It's like, okay, but it'd be, kind of almost in a lot of ways not very different because eh, it just i mean right i mean if you think about the public the only thing that would really throw off people is public property but even then it would probably still kind of be roughly the same ish to some extent but just better probably <laughs> yeah 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 i mean he, he's saying that like yeah it would be um, a concept where everybody is actually invited uh in this type of situation but that like like you said with a store the store is going to want to invite yeah most people uh to come there because they want to be able to sell their goods um but of course you'd want to kind of have more of like a high trust uh society developed mm -hmm. at that point because of course like i think if, if i mean given the current situation like cities and stuff if you have a store and they're there and that store is probably not going to want everybody to come in right now given like how high the rate of like crime is right now and the robberies and stuff yeah. so there is kind of a lot to i, I think there, there'd but. be a varying uh levels of trust if that makes sense so like i used walmart as an example i think yeah. whatever routes or walmart itself or whatever is gonna be probably way less exclusive you know whether it be their roads that lead to it or their the building itself or whatever right. but now if you get to like i don't know I guess Abercrombie and Fitch doesn't work as well anymore because it's not the friggin' early 2000s. Uh, but I don't know, some sort of more exclusive-ish, nicer place. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's still probably going to be somewhat open because if it's a place of business, they're going to want people there, but it's going to be probably a little bit more restrictive uh, yeah. in whatever ways they see fit. So Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe there'd be like subscription-based roads in some cases and like, who knows? But even then, that this clears up a lot of these issues that we talk about when we're talking about the homeless or this person or, or, or what do we do with that building or that building? Like it, it, right. it will make it so it's more closely, it's cl more everything will be closer to what is really appropriate. Like, because yeah. we've joked about, I think the last episode about like homeless people taking dumps in libraries, like in the system that we're talking about here. Yeah, theoretically, you could do that, but let's be real, most aren't going to do that. But like, oh, uh, I'm mean, not saying that happens now, but uh, there, there are probably rules in public uh, entities now that oh, I guess they, all right, they do. It, it's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm sure if he's a homeless person, you probably could go to a lot of public places or or just a mentally ill person or whoever. Uh, yeah. Whereas in a public private society, that's or, or a public private, a private uh, property society. That's yeah. not going to be the case as much because they'll be like, no, get out. There's yeah. not, no reason they can't say get out because it's their property. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's more appropriate. Whereas somewhere like a Walmart or something is probably going to be far more inviting to people of a. A lower cast. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like I, I got off uh, one train uh, that I take yesterday. Got into the station. I need to get up and then try to get onto another train. And I'm like, I didn't want to go around and take the stairs up necessarily. And the elevator was open right there. And I'm like, I'm gonna run right into the elevator because there's somebody in there. It's open. I'm gonna get up to the second floor fast or whatever. I get in there and it's just like this huge like puddle of piss in there because some like homeless person must have got in there and pissed all over the elevator. So it it does happen yeah. in in cities like this. Welcome to Boston. All right, on to you. To yeah. Where are we at here? Uh, next page, 164. All right. The reason for citing the model of an anarcho-capitalist society is that no such thing as forced integration 
uh, uninvited migration is possible, permitted within its framework. Under this scenario, no difference between the physical movement of goods and the migration of people exists. Just as every product movement reflects an underlying agreement between sender and receiver, so are all movements of immigrants uh, into and within an anarcho-capitalist society the result of an agreement between the immigrant and one or a series of receiving domestic property owners. Hence, even if the anarcho-capitalist model is ultimately rejected, and if for realism's sake, the existence of a government and of public, in addition to private, goods and property is assumed, it brings into clear focus what a government's immigration policy would have to be if and insofar as this government that derived its legitimacy legitimacy from the sovereignty of the people and was viewed as the outgrowth of an agreement or social contract, as is presumably the case with all modern post-monarchical governments, of course. Surely such a such a popular government, popular in quotes, because I think he means like democratic, basically, which assumed as its primary task the protection of its citizens and their property, the production of domestic security would want to preserve rather than abolish this no-force integration feature of anarcho-capitalism. That was uh, kind of meaty there. Um, your mic is, you're muted. <laughs> yeah. Oopsies. Uh, I was saying I, I really like yeah. how that last, that second half of that paragraph, how it uh, uh, plays out. It does a good job, but I feel like it takes a, really it was taking a stab at democracy yeah. uh, or just governments in general because it's like, the point is like, hey, this is how it, this would likely work in a true free society. And uh, all right, you say you derive your uh, abilities from the consent of the governor or whatever. I'm like, okay, well, this is likely what the governor would probably want. So what are we doing here? Like, uh, that's kind of the idea. I, I like the way you put it. That was well put. Right. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm no fan of democracy and neither is he. Although I think I would say that, um, it, like, the arguments from some of these open border types that the majority of people uh, want, like, like essentially open immigration, that is certainly not true. Uh, like, I think uh, it is the case that I think if you look at like most polls or whatever, that I think it's like, it's probably like 70 or 80% or against like completely open immigration, which even that seems kind of uh, too low to me. Um, but yeah, so I don't think that that uh, argument really, uh, Makes much sense, but uh, yeah, I mean, another thing I was going to say here is he's just reiterating again, like the same thing he was talking about before, where when you have uh, free trade, it's obviously an agreement between two people to exchange that good. When you have immigration, it's almost like it's kind of a third party who's like coming in here because it's like, it's like, well, what if nobody agreed to, you know, this person coming in here? And that's why he's kind of like alluding to that sponsorship thing again, where he's saying that, well, if this person wants to come in, you're going to have to have somebody who was already in that country actually agreeing to it. And then that's like the invitation. And then that's more of, you know, that, that uh, is in line with uh, like private property principles. Yeah, no, I, I, I particularly like how he frames it here. The idea being that, how do how do i say this um it's essentially saying that if you if you buy into the concept of government this is what you should do 
So I, I don't even know if this is, I don't even know if I would take at least at this point by this paragraph alone that he would necessarily say he's calling for the government to do this, but he's more like saying, if anything, he's like making an appeal to people who buy into the concept of government. And if you're going to have a government and if you want to properly do it the way you think it's supposedly supposed to be done, this is like, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Right. And so, so like you can take as a call to do that if you take the government path. But I don't even necessarily say think at this point he may clarify later and take a different, uh, you know, make a different point about that and actually make that case. But uh, uh, so far, he's not actually saying you necessarily have to do this. He's just saying if there is a proper government and that's what you want to go, if you want to go the government route, like this is what you probably should be doing. So and if you want to complain and be like, oh, my God, that's not a properly libertarian. It's like, OK, well, the, I mean, then don't operate within the government. I mean, like, I don't right. want to tell you, like, I don't know yeah. what you, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, yeah, just like again, like like he does throughout this book, like he said in like the paragraph before that or whatever, like I am an anarcho-capitalist. Like this is the ideal, the privatize everything, the entirely private property situation. However, that is not what we have here. We have a government. So what, um, you know, given that that is the case, then how do we like, as you said, like more closely approximate what would happen in the private uh, scenario. And that wouldn't be open immigration, which he uh, refers to multiple times as forced integration, which is, which is true. I mean, that is uh, the way to look at it. Um, It is the government, uh, just saying all of these people are coming in essentially, uh, even though that was not necessarily agreed to. Um, yeah. So he's saying that, uh, for that reason, for those reasons, uh, it would make sense that some sort of restrictions, uh, would need to be in place to approximate, uh, what would happen in the private scenario. All right, let's keep moving. Yeah. I thought uh, we were going to have to really milk this because we were not in many pages in this one. But then I'm looking at this. I'm like, this is actually kind of meaty no, stuff. Yeah, so we, all, we always do. Yeah, we always do pretty well. This next uh, couple of pages are pretty meaty, actually. Yeah. So and then that'll be the end of the chapter. But yeah, uh, in order to clarify what this implies, it is necessary to explain how an anarcho-capitalist society is altered by the introduction of a government and how this affects the immigration problem. Since there is no government in an, in an anarcho-capitalist society, there is no clear-cut distinction between inlanders, domestic citizens, and foreigners. This distinction appears only with the establishment of a government. The territory over which a government's power extends then becomes inland, and everyone residing outside of this territory becomes a foreigner. State borders and passports, as distinct from private property borders and titles to property, come into existence and immigration takes on a new meaning. Immigration becomes immigration by foreigners across state borders, and the decision as to whether or not a person should be admitted no longer rests exclusively with private property owners or associations of such owners, but ultimately with the government qua domestic security producer monopolist. Now, if the government excludes a person while a domestic resident exists who wants to admit this very person onto his property, the result is forced exclusion. And if the government admits a person while no domestic resident exists who wants to have this person on his property, the result is forced integration. So, yeah, I mean, again, like, yeah, some fairly meaty paragraphs here. And he is saying, one, that like the sheer concept of immigration or what we think of as immigration uh, today is a government creation. Basically it's a government thing because 
state it's people uh passing from state to state as there's uh you know a territory controlled by one state into a territory controlled by another state so he's making the point that well uh it is the state that is in control of that migration it is not private landowners who are in control of that so essentially no matter what you do there's like that's not a, a purely libertarian solution of course yeah. and then he makes like the very you know he simplifies the argument which is this is like why, uh, you know, neither of these solutions is libertarian. He's saying, well, if you have somebody who wants this person to come onto their property, they have invited that person onto their property. If the government blocks that from happening, uh, they are uh, forcefully excluding that person from doing that. However, on the flip side, it is also true that if no person wants this person to come in or wants this person on their property, then that is forced integration. Yep, I mean, just restating stuff he said earlier, but in a different way. He said this a few different times, but uh, I do like how he he really makes a point to say like the distinct when the government comes in, that's when it creates these hard lines that really throw things off, as opposed to just property owners. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, right. I don't really have anything else to add to that one. He like I said, he's just restating right. stuff he said earlier. Uh, but let, let's keep it going. Right. But then somebody, uh, somebody, I guess, might argue, you know, well, oh, like if one person does want to invite, uh, the, you know, or, or I guess if it's just one person who, or well, I don't even know what I was going to say. I guess if one person wants to invite this person in, but then he's kind of, he just kind of doesn't mention, uh, you know, like what happens with all the public property, like in that case. So like you do have to take that into account as well, which he does like throughout this chapter. But like yeah. that simplification of it, he doesn't really uh, bring that up there. Yeah, you were making the point that we've made earlier. Yeah. And I think it also made in this book the idea that uh, this is why democracy kind of sucks. And especially in relation to like something like immigration, because it's the idea of if, say, they let a bunch of Mexicans into your town or something, the government says, oh, you can come in. Or they say you can't come in, one or the other. And there's even one person within that area that's like, well, I kind of want them to come in. It's like, well, yeah. theoretically now it's like it's you're in a spot where it's not libertarian. Like if if you right. could somehow or, or it's not pr proper through a, pr a private property uh, rights system. Uh, yeah. But now like. Now, theoretically, if, if it's unanimous, then it is. It's completely within the realms of libertarian, in, in a sense, like private property rights in that sense, because no one's rights are really being infringed upon because everyone's like, yeah, you know, this is, like we paid right. money. In this. I mean, people are being infringed upon by through taxes and whatever. But yeah. in this specific context of this specific example, if it's unanimous, no, no, it's not, because that's kind of the that is genuinely the will of the people. But when do you ever really have a unanimous type thing like that, especially the larger of a group you get to? But go on. Right. And yeah, you're dealing with like, yeah, sort of like all the people that like live there already are the people that do have like the best claim to all of mm -hmm. this like public land and like what should be done with it, essentially. All right. Uh, moreover, hand in hand with the institution of a government comes the institution of public property and goods. Uh, so he's going to talk about it now, I guess. That is of property and goods owned collectively by all domestic residents and controlled and administered by the government. The larger or smaller the amount of public government ownership, the greater or smaller will be the potential problem of forced integration. Consider a socialist society like the former Soviet Union or East Germany, for example. All factors of production, capital goods, including all land and natural resources, are publicly owned. Accordingly, if the government admits an uninvited immigrant, it admits him to any place within the country. 
For without private land ownership, there are no limitations on his internal migrations other than those decreed by government. Under socialism, therefore, forced integration can be spread everywhere and thereby immensely intensified. In fact, in the Soviet Union and East Germany, for instance, the government could quarter a stranger in someone else's private house or apartment. And they don't mean quarter like draw and quarter. They mean quarter as in they can force them to have to live with them, like uh, the quartering uh, act, uh, the third yeah. amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. This measure and the resulting high-powered force integration was justified on grounds of the fact that all private houses rested on public land. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add to that one. I don't know if you do. Um, I mean, I mean, we could, a, but this is, well, is, I feel like it's kind of repetitive, I, but go on. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think that was kind of a different uh, way okay. of looking at it. That, that paragraph, like he's kind of saying, um, you have to consider like, what is, um, like the government controlled, uh, land like how much of it is there basically and how much mm. of it there is makes uh the immigration problem stronger like worse yeah, like in, in these in these uh socialist or even like communist uh societies all of the land is public land basically so it's sort of you know it's everybody's yeah. but it's it's not you know not really but then uh you know that means that uh when they're allowing these uh, immigrants to come in that they're basically allowing those immigrants access to the entire country. Yeah. Um, right. right. So I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. And then if you have like the situation in the U S well, you do have like a pretty substantial amount of public land. So you, what you are still are saying is that those immigrants are now allowed, you know, throughout all of that public land. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe there are people who have more, claim to that land like the people that are paying more taxes into it who don't want that to be the case so you know i i think it's a fairly uh strong way of looking at that argument yeah you're right, you're right i, I you're would right. say yeah so yeah. it has to do with the amount of property whereas of course if you have um you know a completely privatized society the problem doesn't exist at all yeah. and if you have a society where it's just a really small amount of public land well then those Immigrants are only allowed, you know, in those particular areas because everybody else can exclude them if they want to. So, yeah, I kind of I didn't remember that paragraph. Actually, yeah. You know, what? the more you the, actually, as you say, I'm like, actually, it is a little bit kind of semi profound and a little bit of a new thing that we haven't tread on so far in, yeah. tre or talked on, on so far. Yeah. Tread on. I don't know why I said tread on that word came to mind. Yeah, uh, I, I like that. Right. Yeah. And, and it yeah. kind of uh, brought to my mind the fact that like I kind of um, I argue that uh people that are pro open immigration are actually uh they delve into arguing for communism essentially because they eventually like their argument logically leads to them arguing for everybody having equal access to the government mm -hmm. land the public land and that is the definition of communism yeah and this logically the the point he's making is that Obviously, by that logic, the the smaller the amount of area that's being uh, controlled in an illibertarian, Ill like a non-libertarian way, uh, the more libertarian it is, if that makes sense. The more decentralized it is, if that makes sense. So as if yeah. you have, right. uh, say we have just operating under the federal government, it's just one United States. That is a worse situation, and you have one set of immigration laws. Now, if you mm -hmm. break it up by 50 states, and they all have their own separate immigration laws, that is better because yeah. now when you do something to where because we mentioned the whole idea that we talked about in the last paragraph with 
theoretically, unless it's somehow magically unanimous, someone is always, their rights, their property rights are always being tread upon, unless it's somehow magically unanimous. Now, uh, it, like he brought up with this, the size of thing. Now, if you have the United States and someone's, uh, and we, we got to keep in mind, people are always being, uh, their rights are being ru uh, run roughshod on, unless it's unanimous. You're far less likely, you're going to have, how do I say this? You're less likely for it to be unanimous, and it's also going to be less unanimous the larger it is, if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah. essentially no, private property rights are being impinged upon far more in a larger area than in a smaller area. And yeah. so this is where kind of decentralization comes into play. Yeah, because you have more people who are going to disagree with it. So yeah. 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 And logically speaking, if you continue the centralization, you eventually get down to the individual and then it's, oh, now we're just right where we want to be anyway. So <laughs> yeah. right. But go on. Yes, uh, socialist countries are not high-wage areas, of course, or if they are, they will not remain so for long. Their problem is not immigration, but emigration pressure. The Soviet Union in East Germany prohibited emigration and killed people for trying to leave the country. So, you know, as we know, that was the case with, like, the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall was to keep people in uh, the East and not allow them to flee to the much freer West. Mm -hmm. Um, however, the problem of the extension and intensification of forced integration persists outside of socialism to be sure in non-socialist countries, such as the United States, Switzerland, and the federal Republic of Germany, which are favorite immigration destinations, a government admitted immigrant could not move just anywhere. His freedom of movement would be severely restricted by the extent of private property and private land ownership in particular. Yet, by proceeding on public roads or with public means of transportation and by staying on public land and in public parks and buildings, an immigrant can cross every domestic resident's path and move into virtually any neighborhood. The smaller the quantity of public property, the less likely this will occur, but as long as any public property exists, it cannot be entirely avoided. He's kind of made the point that I was just making a second ago there. Like, I was right. kind of, yeah. So, yeah, he's saying that again. And it kind of just brings to mind, uh, yeah, like if you think about like, like me being in a, a city, like you think about the like completely obvious difference between uh, what goes on like in public areas and public transportation uh, versus like private areas. Like, the public transportation is just. I mean, it's run down. You can say, well, yeah, because the government controls it. It's not private. So it's, you know, it's just run poorly, but it also has to do with like the people that are allowed into those areas and stuff. Like it's, a, you know, it's much more high crime. A lot more of that shit goes on there. It's much less safe. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we can't have an army of Neelys. So uh, <laughs> yeah, well, and they take away your guns. So especially yeah. uh, in Massachusetts, some of the worst <laughs> gun laws in the country. So, so I got to choke them out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Part six, uh, a popular government that wants to safeguard citizens and their domestic property from forced integration and foreign invaders has two methods of doing so. A corrective and a preventative one. The corrective method is designed to ameliorate the effects of forced immigration once the event has taken place and the event, the invaders are here. As indicated, to achieve this goal, the government must, must reduce the quantity of public property and expand that of private property as much as possible. And whatever the ratio of private to public public property may be, the government should help rather than hinder the enforcement of a private property owner's right to admit and exclude others from his property. 
If virtually all property is owned privately and the government assists in enforcing private pro ownership rights, the uninvited immigrants, even if they successfully cross the border and enter the country, would not likely get much further. I like that. I like that a lot. What, what thoughts, Toad? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's kind of just comparing and contrasting um, uh, like uh, preventative versus uh, protective mm -hmm. um, measures that the government could take. So I think... He's saying that the preventative would be like just not letting them into the country to begin with uh, versus the protective, which is like, oh, well, they're going to let them in. But then that means they have to uh, provide that protection, you know, at least or reduce what, the amount of public right. property. Like you right. could that have a very claim to do. Yeah. Yeah. You could have a very free immigration system, but you could just have a very little amounts of public property. So it's like, OK, cool. You can come here. But like, right. Here's these roads you can go along. Here's some of these businesses public parks otherwise fuck off <laughs> I, I, I don't know if i'm right here but i i would assume that the argument that he would be making here is that the preventative measures make more sense than the protective because you're kind of you're stopping it you know at the outset which i think I, would be easier and to, uh, easier and in advance whereas you know if you let them in you're kind of it's more of like a well this is like your like last um last resort type of thing and like you know it's you know, like you might like let things slip, <laughs> let things slip. Like there's a greater chance that bad things are going to happen. And yeah, I mean, of course it's the government, so they're not even going to do it, but yeah. I don't think he, they've, uh, they, he's really said which is preferable or if either are preferable yet. I think he's just kind of laying out what they are. Um, yeah. do, 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 do. All right. Yeah. I guess that he was saying the corrective is roughly, I don't even think he's laid out what the preventative one. I think he just said what the, is talking about the corrective at this moment in time, I believe. Right. I mis, misread it. So well, I believe he's it. just talking about the corrective and the corrective is reducing the amount of public property there is. Uh, so it's all private property. So it's like, cool. What right. it, it kind of almost becomes irrelevant what your immigration policy right. is at that point, because it's now we're getting to closer to a, a private property system. Right. Although, but, it, although I don't think it's in the government's interest to actually do yes. that. It's, it's, no, it's more in their interest to just, no. to just not yeah, just, provide the protection, yeah. which is what we're seeing happen. So yeah, they'll just shrink themselves <laughs> yeah, just for right. shits and gigs. Yeah. All right. The more completely the corrective measure is carried out, uh, in parentheses, the higher the degree of private ownership, the smaller will be the need for protective measures such as uh, such as uh, border defense. The cost of protection against foreign invaders along the United States-Mexico border, for instance, is comparatively high because for long stretches, no private property exists on the U.S. side. However, even if the cost of border protection were lowered by means of privatization, it would not disappear as long as there are substantial income and wage differentials between high and wa uh, low wage territories. Hence, in order to fulfill its basic protective function, a high wage area government must also engage in preventative measures. At all points of uh, ports of entry and along its borders, the government, as trustee of its citizens, must check all newly arriving persons for an entrance ticket. That is a valid invitation by a domestic property owner and anyone not in possession of such a ticket must be expelled at its own expense. Yeah. So I think he's saying a couple of things there. I think yep. he's saying that the There's more, yeah, the more private, uh, like the higher percentage of private land that you have within uh, your country, you're going to have to do less to protect the borders. Uh, however, you're, you're still going to need to do that. I think because like the people within that, um, like area, you know, I guess they're going to be more free. So you're still going to have like more people like wanting to be there and whatever. And is, is that what he's saying? I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, I think he's saying the high wage areas. Cause of the idea that, yeah, uh, yeah. 
that's what he's talking about specifically in those well, right, areas. Yeah. But uh, eh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, roughly. I talked just, about that last time too, because I was saying, yeah. well, high wage areas would tend to like attract more people, but then you were saying, yeah, but then like those uh, areas would only like want like the more skilled workers who, yeah. uh, you know, should be earning those wages to come in, which I think is also true. Yeah, I think he's saying what they're saying is like in the high wage areas. I mean, if, if anything, this is a point we we're making earlier with like the whole Walmart example, but it's like a little bit of the inverse. The the point yeah. being is saying like the high wage areas would be the more exclusive areas I was kind of talking to about, right. like to juxtapose against like the Walmart areas. So yeah. these type areas would be the areas where it would be. So these would probably be like your nice, uh, like your upscale commercial or, you know, maybe business areas. Uh, stuff where it's like you don't there's no reason for you to be here because unless you're a worker or someone like you know you seem like the nice business parks and stuff that lets like no one unless you're part of that business has any reason to be there stuff like that uh I, that's kind of what i'm imagining yeah. um you know those type of a areas and he's saying in those type of areas that would be where it would be uh, you would need some sort of invitation. and this actually makes sense because this starts to comport to what a private society would look like and there would be these probably yeah. these nice high wage areas or or more exclusive areas where it would be like, hey, uh, you know, you need to be invited here. Like you don't just get to be here. Uh, you know, I guess it's almost like the Elysium, like that movie or whatever. Like the, what is that that one with the, the, the rich people, this guy? <laughs> um, um, which which one? Oh, uh, Elysium. I think it was Elysium. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I, I might like be confusing that, that with yeah. something else. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think. I think that might be it there. But yeah, I think he's basically just saying that, yeah, the more private territory that you have, the more that private, um, you know, landowners and whatever are going to be like providing the defense for like their own property and whatever. So the government isn't going to have to be like providing as much protection, I guess, at the borders or whatever, but they will still need to because there are going to be people trying to like come into the that like higher wage area, I think is what he was saying there. Yeah. Yep, yep. All right. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm still reading. Valid invitations yeah. are contracts between one or more private domestic recipients, residential or commercial, and the arriving person. Right. Quack. Oh, I did want. I did want to make a point real quick because I don't think Hoppe did lay it lay it out. But the kind of point is where I was getting where this comports more to a private uh, society. Uh, like I think. Like the idea of having this individuals or to come into these high wage areas, you need an invitation of some sort. Um, I think this does kind of come close to the idea of like a because people would be like, oh, well, the whole what am I trying to say? It, it's the idea that whatever, fuck it, we'll just move on. I, maybe, I'll uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're saying. I, I was trying to think of how to explain it, but I was like, you know what? I'm kind of trying to jam that in, but I think you'll probably cover it anyways later. Valid invitations okay. or contracts between one or more private domestic recipients, residential or commercial, and the arriving person. Qua contractual admission, the arriving party can only dispose of his own private property. Hence, similar to the scenario of conditional free immigration, the admission implies that the immigrant will be excluded from all publicly funded welfare. On the other hand, it implies that the receiving party must assume legal responsibility for the actions yeah. of his invitee and the duration of his stay. The inviter is held liable to the full extent of his property for any crimes by the invitee committed against the person or property of any third party. This obligation, that which implies that inviters will have to carry liability insurance for all of their guests, ends once the invitee has left the country or once another domestic property owner has assumed liability for the person in question by admitting him onto his property. Yeah, so he's making that point again where if you have the system where uh, you have 
somebody uh, like contractually agreeing, yes, I'm going to have this person come in with me. That makes it like a voluntary agreement between those two parties. And uh, part of that agreement, he's saying uh, what it should be is that uh, this person that comes in is not going to be receiving uh, any of uh, the welfare since like, you know, they haven't been paying into it yet. And that person that's taking them in because they're basically vouching for that person, they are then agreeing to be held uh, sort of responsible or liable for crimes that that person might commit, um, which, you know, it, it's kind of like that taking personal responsibility thing. And that kind of makes the incentives line up properly. So then it's like that person is really going to be incentivized to only uh, vouch for some like immigrant that they know is a trustworthy, uh, trustworthy person to come in. And then, you know, it's also going to incentivize that immigrant to not be uh, committing any crimes essentially. Right. So I think that's kind of the idea there. And you, uh, you skipped uh, the part that was in that paragraph there. Oh I, yeah. Which it was I, in parentheses. It was kind of like whatever. Or that was about like kids. I mean, yeah. Which I like though, because uh, a bunch of the open borders uh, homos uh, try to compare it to people yeah. having children yeah. And I have said that that is a stupid argument to make and that it is uh, the people having children is much more similar to the Hoppian sponsorship program. And that's what he just said. Right yeah, that's here. true. Yeah. I'll say it real quick. It's parents <laughs> are held accountable uh, for crimes committed by their offspring as long as these are members of the parental household. That was in parentheses. And right. they were using that to compare it to the system, to the idea that this is kind of like you said, it's a kind of almost a perfect parallel. Right. So parents, yeah. yeah, when they're having a child, they know they're going to be responsible for that kid. Uh, at least very much ideally, that would be the case. You know, they, uh, I, I mean, everybody, <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of, I don't know. It's a known thing. Everybody knows that that's the case. Um, and I, what else was I going to say? They, yeah, they're, they're going to be held responsible. They will be responsible for their kid. And I forget where else I was going with that. Mm. Damn it. <laughs> All right, let's keep moving. The invitation may be private or commercial, temporary or permanent, concerning only housing or housing and employment, but there cannot be a valid contract uh, involving only employment and no housing. In any case, however, as a contractual relationship, every invitation may be revoked or terminated by the host. And upon termination, the invitee, whether tourist, visiting businessman, or resident alien, will be required to leave the country. Uh, unless another resident citizen enters into invitation yeah. contract with him. Yeah, well, I, know, I, yeah I know what I was going to say is that the parents okay. are inviting uh, that baby to come in. Like that yeah. is an invitation. Like we are doing that. And not only are we assuming responsibility, but we are like basically they are vouching for that person sort of in effect by vouching for themselves as well by saying we are going to raise this person well. Yep. I think it's kind of the idea there. And then in the paragraph you just read, what he's saying is that um, – because this is a contract, that's going to set up a situation where if that uh, like immigrant or whatever uh, like violates it, like if they commit a crime or something like that, or or you know maybe it seems like they're about to or whatever, the host can actually um, like end the contract, mm -hmm. right? Like or you know with valid reason, I think they can end the contract, and then uh, that would mean that that uh, person uh, actually has to uh, yeah leave the country. So that's yep. uh, yeah effectively how it would work. Yeah. Yeah, and I was I wanted to, uh, the point I was trying to sort of make earlier uh, is I was saying like people may wonder like how does this system comport more to a private system, uh, and because the idea that you're bringing someone to an area that's 
I guess in theory public, there's a group of people and you're just being like, oh, you can, and they did address some of those minor issues. But what I was saying is it comports to, because we're talking about a specific area and I was getting mm -hmm. at in a private society, and this is something he'll get into later in further chapters, he has this concept of things like covenant communities. And so yeah. I think in a sense, these uh, some of these areas, like including like the high wage areas we're kind of talking about here, would essentially have something similar to that where it'd be like, hey, if you do business or operate within this, situ this area uh, due to some conglomeration of private uh, property owners, we have, have these loose rules. And these are, if you want to bring someone into this area, this is something you have to, it's kind of a similar to like an HOA thing. It's like, yeah, you own your home, but when you bought this place, it had a previous pri uh, owner. And as such, they had made agreement with other owners that any, uh, you know, following owner has to, uh, you know, sign this contract saying they'll abide by said given rules or whatever. Right. And so it'd be the same idea here because people be like, well, this just sounds like some arbitrary government bullshit. And it is, but it comports closer to um, what a private property system would likely be like because they probably would right. have rules concerning this. They, right. It's, it's going to be more exclusive. They would have systems in place to be like, hey, this is this is what you need to do in order to get here. It's not always because people hear private property. and They always think one person one set of rules it's like no it's it's just it's, it's where we get retard brain with individualism and collectivism uh and that's kind of where yeah. like covenant communities kind of bridges that gap the idea of like mm -hmm. okay yeah you are operating as individuals and you do own your property but it's like okay there's gonna be certain areas that if you want to live in this area you're gonna have to agree to certain rules right I mean, like a, a yeah. family lives in a house yeah. you have like gated communities and things yeah. like that and yeah uh, yeah i mean I but if know, you want to live out church the sticks, communities yeah yeah and i'm all for living on the sticks and not having those rules not having hoas or having uh, more minuscule hoas but yeah. I, it makes it does make sense that there would be certain areas where like hey if you want to be here like come on there's certain rules you gotta abide by right um, and, and he is also saying here that like uh you know if that one uh host uh wants to end that contract somebody else within the country could uh form their own contract with that person, uh, that immigrant and keep them in the country if yep. they wanted to. And of course uh, that kind of just makes me think of uh, when Ron DeSantis like shipped all the immigrants up to Martha's <laughs> vineyard and the rich uh, like Democrat progressives that are up there are just like, no, we don't want them here. Like they, they would they, like, yeah. Yeah, they, they don't Ron practice. canceled his contract. Right. They, yeah, <laughs> they they don't practice what they preach, and and they they would they were not even willing to host them, and they want and they want to force you to do it. So yeah. even though they wouldn't be willing to do it, all, all right, right, I'm gonna I'll finish out this uh, section just because there's only one paragraph left, and I'll let you take off that uh the the conclusion uh segment. Um, okay. All right, the invitee which who is at all times subject to the potential risk of immediate expulsion may lose his legal status as a non-resident or resident alien only up, uh, upon acquiring citizenship. In accordance with the objective of making all immigration invited contractual, the fundamental requirement for citizenship is the acquisition of property ownership, or more precisely, the ownership of real estate and residential property. In contrast, it would be inconsistent with the very idea of invited migration to award citizenship according to the territorial principle, as in the U.S., whereby a child born to a non-resident or resident alien in a host country automatically acquires U.S. citizenship. In fact, as most other high-wage areas governments recognize, such a child should acquire the citizenship of his parents. Granting this child citizenship involves a non-fulfillment of a host country government's basic protective function and actually amounts to an invasive act perpetrated uh, by the government against its own citizenry. Oh, boy. Becoming a citizen means acquiring the right to stay in a country permanently. And a permanent 
and a permanent invitation cannot be secured by any means other than purchasing residential property from a citizen resident. Only by selling real estate to a foreigner does a citizen indicate that he agrees to a guest permanent stay. And only if the immigrant has purchased and paid for real estate and residential housing in the host country will he assume a permanent interest in his new country's well-being and prosperity. Moreover, finding a citizen who is willing to sell residential property and who is prepared and able to pay for it, although a necessary requirement for the acquisition of citizenship, may, all, may not also be sufficient. If and insofar as a domestic property in question is subject to restrictive covenants, we were just talking mm, about that, yeah, the hurdles to be soon, taken yeah. by a prospective citizen may be significantly higher. In Switzerland, for instance, citizenship may require that the sale of residential property to foreigners be ratified by a majority of or even all the directly affected local property owners. I like that. It's a cool idea because the idea being that like, if we're dealing with a government citizen uh, is, uh, situation, uh, I don't remember if he's saying specifically this is a you know an actual anarchy here here or if this is like the the closest approximation either way the idea being that like um oh, i totally a brain fart oh the idea that it is once again you can, the discrimination uh factor just because mm -hmm. you know when it comes to private property if someone wants to buy if you want to buy an item from someone else uh because he's saying in this this paragraph here that the key in this system to acquire citizenship is to acquire property like physical right. property like specifically and you can just like buy a watch from walmart uh but yeah. like residential property a house and the way property works is someone has to be willing to sell to you and they may have their own specific reasons they could literally right. be like you're a jew i don't want to sell to you or whatever and it's and that's <laughs> okay that's the or like he was getting out with a covenant community thing it could be a situation in in his community, they have have they've come contractually to a system of we have certain rules and they could be like, for whatever reason, whatever arbitrary reason or even a decent reason could be like, we don't want these people or that specific type of people or whatever or or have specific rules that like you can't just uh, I don't know for whatever reason, maybe they don't want people just coming over to the United States and just willy nilly buying property just to get out of there. It could be like, Hey, you need to be in the States for a couple of years or whatever the, the specific rules are. It, it, it right. could be whatever it's private property. You can do whatever the hell you want with it. But, yeah. uh, he's making the point that you got to buy property to get in there. You can't just yeah. like exist here and be like, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I'm a citizen. Yeah. You mean, you mean an immigrant can't just uh, buy like a, a pencil <laughs> and gain citizen, citizenship <laughs> if they do that? Like, no, Dobby, yeah. like Dobby with a fucking, yeah. with, the, with the sock? I am a free elf. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. No, no, like it makes sense. It has to be like something substantial where like the seller mm. is really like kind of uh, like making a claim there, like saying like, like I do like trust this yeah. person, like to the degree where I'm going to make this like very substantial, yeah. uh, like sale to them, you know, sell them a house or yeah. Property, like some sort of significant amount of property, uh, and, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it might be. And this comports to uh, a private society too, as well, because in that situation, um, yeah, you don't have the whole idea of citizenship, but if you want to move to an area, if you want to live in an area, you need to live in an area. Like you need to acquire yeah. property. Like so, it's yeah. the same. It really is kind of. Yeah. It really does comport darn yeah. near perfectly. Yeah, uh, it's, the, it's the, yeah, yeah. It's kind of in line with the, his uh, the requirements that he wants to enforce to vote as well, uh, which you know he wanted he wants to restrict it to landowners, or at least yeah. you know says that that would be uh, a vast improvement over completely open voting. It's kind of a, kind of similar to that. That it made me think of that. All right, let's knock this picture <laughs> out. We got two more paragraphs. 
Yes. And then was there anything else I was going to say there? Uh, probably not. I don't know. I don't remember. I forget what else I was going to say. Oh, he did uh, mention, I just like, he kind of just uses aggressive language there. Where he's uh, talking about the citizenship of like the parents and stuff. If they're going to have kids where he would say that, like, if, you know, the parents like have not even acquired that status and now they're having kids and then you could have like generations and generations of that happening that he was, he is referring to that as uh, an invasion because you, you do have like, m you know, more and more, you have an increasing population of uh, people who have not been invited. Yes. Uh, all right. Section seven, final section of this uh, chapter judged by the immigration policy entailed by the objective of protecting one's own citizens from foreign invasion and forced integration and of rendering all international population movements invited and contractual migrations, the Swiss government does a significantly better job than the United States. Excuse me. It is relatively more difficult to enter, to enter Switzerland as an uninvited person, and it is more difficult to stay on as an uninvited alien. In particular, it is far more difficult for a foreigner to acquire citizenship, and the legal distinction between resident citizens and resident aliens is more clearly pr preserved. These differences notwithstanding, the governments of both Switzer Switzerland and the U.S. are pursuing immigration policies that must be deemed far too permissive. I think right here he is kind of slowly making his caveat or not caveat is a segue from one chapter to the next, since I think the next one is where he's going to start getting into some of that like covenant stuff that we were talking about earlier. Uh, so I think that's why yeah. he's kind of making the point of like Switzerland where they do have more, uh, I guess in some senses, a Swiss government because their whole Canton system kind of falls slightly more in line with, uh, I guess somewhat what Hoppe envisions in some ways and not in others. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I don't yeah. know exactly how theirs work, but I, I'm kind of surprised he didn't mention Liechtenstein because that's kind yeah. of his thing. And I'm fairly certain that Liechtenstein has like very strict like requirements uh, to yeah. actually like become a citizen there and like take up yeah. permanent residency there to the point where I think there are a lot of people who kind of live in like the neighboring countries and uh, like commute into Liechtenstein to work there, but then still live in like uh, whatever, like Austria, uh, Switzerland, Germany, like whatever countries are closest there. I think Switzerland just makes a better example for him because of the Canton system. Yeah. It's kind of sort of decentralized. It's decentralized. Uh, it's a homogenous. It's really it's small, though. Yeah, it's homogenous. Uh, Lichtenstein is really small, but I think Lichtenstein is also homogenous. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Lichtenstein makes a good example for his like what must be done type stuff. But the, I think Switzerland probably makes a better example for somewhat kind of his immigration stuff. I'm not saying yeah. Switzerland is a perfect country by any means, uh, and they definitely no. have a lot of issues. But specifically in this one issue, I think it makes a good uh, example for Hoppe considering some of his ideas. Uh, yeah, but and yes. he, he does kind of make the point uh, because he does talk a lot in this book about how uh, like a monarchy makes it much more clear the distinction between the ruling class and the ruled class. He's saying here that if you have this more, um, uh, what is it, kind of a more uh, invitation-oriented uh, immigration system, that that uh, makes it more clear who the citizens versus the non-citizens are, I guess. Uh, that it just made me kind of uh, think of kind of the parallels between those things. All right. All right. Uh, moreover, yeah, the excessive permissiveness of their immigration policies and the resulting exposure of the Swiss and American population to force integration by foreigners is further aggravated 
by the fact that the extent of public property in both countries and other high wage areas is substantial. That tax funded welfare provisions are high and growing and foreigners are not excluded. And that contrary to official pronouncements, even the adherence to free trade policies is anything but perfect. Accordingly, in Switzerland, the U.S. and most other high-wage areas, popular protests against immigration policies have grown increasingly louder. It has been the purpose of this chapter not only to make the case for the privatization of public property, domestic laissez-faire, and international free trade, but in particular for the adoption of, of a restrictive immigration policy. By demonstrating that free trade is inconsistent with both unconditionally or conditionally free immigration and requires instead that migration be subject to the condition of being invited and contractual, it is our hope to contribute to more enlightened future policies in this area. Yep. See, so use Switzerland for both purposes. For a yeah. for a good example to upload, hold some of his uh, uh, um, immigration ideas, and as an example to show the bad side of some of his immigration ideas that he's making, because he, you know, making the point that Swiss and American, you know, with all the welfare stuff, right? Uh, but you know, he's saying the Swiss does a slightly better job because they're more. Uh, it's more of an invitation. It's 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 more difficult to enter it as an uninvited person, and you know. But anyways, it, this is kind of why I think Switzerland makes a good example because. Uh, for the pros and cons um, uh, in some sense. Yeah, and he's kind of just summing it up there and just saying that, you know, well, there are, you know, there are restrictions on trade, like, within these countries anyway, within the U.S. anyway. But, yeah, the U.S. also has, like, all this public property, so it makes sense uh, to restrict immigration. And he does uh, make the case where, you know, I kind of uh, mentioned this at the beginning uh, where we were uh, going back to what we talked about last week. He's not only saying that... um, that free trade and uh, free immigration are not the same thing and kind of have nothing to do with each other. He's actually going further than that and saying that uh, in order to have free trade, you actually need to restrict immigration uh, in some capacity. If you do have a government uh, there, if you, if you want to like approximate free trade more so because uh, that uh, open immigration is, you know, forced integration, whatever he says. And that uh, is, like an anti-free trade uh, policy. It's like, it's a violation of, uh, of uh, private property agreements. Yep. Well, all right, man, let's get out of here. I'm looking forward to the next one. I was skimming forward, looking at the future chapters. The next chapter yeah. we'll do is uh, on cooperation, tribe, city, and state. So that'll definitely be a fun one. Mm. After that, on conservatism and libertarianism, that'll be a fun one. And the following one after that is on the errors of classical liberalism and the future of liberty. We're, we're going to get a lot of good ammo. Yeah, so is that, that's the last things. one? No, it's not the last one. There's more oh. after that, but oh, shit. the I next forget. few. Uh, right. There's one, two. There's two more after that. So, um, uh, well, one more. one of these that's upcoming is uh, the one that like everybody takes issue with, or you know, everybody points out that one yeah. uh, excerpt and like doesn't even contextualize it. So, yeah, I mean, when he said Love "kill all the gays," no, I'm mm. kidding. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. he meant was, no. yeah. Yeah. Uh, just kidding, obviously. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that, and we'll have that discussion when it comes across. Uh, Toad, you want to go and drop your plugs? We'll get the hell out of here, man. Yeah, uh, Tower Gang Toad on Twitter, uh, the Tower Gang podcast, uh, which both of us are hosts of. It's hilarious, extremely offensive comedy. We had, did mm. another episode last night. Every Wednesday night, uh, 9, 11 p.m. Eastern, we are live on 
Rumble, uh, which is kind of our uh, platform that we're pushing at this point, uh, even though we do still we do still do it on Odyssey. Uh, I said Dill. I like Dill, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're on YouTube as well. Somehow, still uh, we at least live stream there and leave a couple episodes up. We have the locals towergang.locals.com where uh, you can support us monetarily. Um, and yeah, Tower Gang Pod, pretty much everywhere else. TowerGangPod.com for all the links. All right. And yeah, this is the No Way Jose Show. Find me on YouTube, all the major art packages, Odyssey as well. If you want to follow me at Tower on Twitter at Tower Gang Jose, I'm also on Facebook as Jose Galison. I don't really do anything on there, but whatever. If that's what you want to do, like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. And with that, we are out. Peace. Heil. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat mother of three, and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast.